For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of, our glo- of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, would you be with us this morning as we sit under your word? Would you open our ears and our hearts to receive it? Would you open our minds to understand it? Would you open our wills and our hearts to put it into practice? Would you give us hope this morning, Lord? Show us our hope, fill us with hope, and equip us in hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The section of our passage that I want to focus on this morning is brief and yet very important for our spiritual health and life. The Apostle Paul said to Titus that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And then here it is, waiting for our blessed hope. Waiting for our blessed hope. The question I want to ask you, I want to put before you this morning, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do you have hope? Do you have hope? It's a very simple question, and yet obviously it is profound in its implications for us. Hope is what fuels us. Hope is what centers our thoughts and our actions. Hope is what conditions our interpretation of all of our experience. Without hope, our lives are, they lose their savor. It's hard to get up in the morning. It is hard to keep going in a situation without hope, in a workplace without hope, a relationship without hope. So we need to ask ourselves, I'm asking you to ask yourself, do you have hope? And secondly, along with that, what is the object of that hope? For what are you hoping? And what is the basis of that hope? What gives that hope its strength and its power? And the proposition I want to lay before you this morning, brothers and sisters, is simply this. True hope. True hope, which I will define as a sure hope and a blessed hope, is a distinct feature of the Christian faith. Or put another way, it is only in Christ Jesus that we can have a true hope, a sure hope, a blessed hope. But the good news of the gospel is that in Christ Jesus, we have a sure hope. And it must condition, it must drive everything in the way that we live. Now, before we get too far, I do want to spend some time making sure that we are clear on what Paul means by hope. We're quite familiar with the word hope, but we use it usually in a very different way than how he is using it here. We typically use the word hope as a verb or as an action. Kids, you you might hope for a particular gift for Christmas. Students, you might hope for a particular grade in your in your classes at the end of this semester, or we might hope for reconciliation with a loved one. It is a desire 
or an expectation for something good. Or we might turn turn around and refer to the hope itself or the desire itself as hope. My hope is I will be reconciled. My hope is I will receive this gift. But that's not what Paul means here. That's usually what we mean when we think of hope, but that's not what he's talking about here. This is something that we are to we are trained to wait for. We are waiting for a blessed hope. We don't wait for the desire of this blessing. And it's not the desire isn't the blessing. There is an object, a, a an object that we are waiting for that is blessed. And that is this other sense of the word hope, which is what Paul means here. The object of our desire, the object of our expectation, the thing that we are hoping for. But embedded in the the term hope, there are these twin concepts that are very important. Um, the, the, uh, The concept of expectation and the concept of longing. Now expectation, the strength of expectation is founded on the basis by which we expect this thing to be ours or this thing to come to pass. The stronger the basis, the more likely we are to expect it. If I go on to Amazon.com and I find an item that I want to order and it says, item is in stock, click now, order it now, and it will be at your front door in two days, or better yet, tomorrow, or even better yet, later today, I have a strong expectation that I will receive the item that I have ordered. Why? On the basis of the business of Amazon.com. I trust that their inventory management systems are up to date and that they know what items they have in stock. I trust that their warehouse operations are such that they can get that item into a box, shipped off, and that their delivery systems will get it to my door in the time that they have promised. I have a strong expectation, so much so that I might not even use the word hope. It will be there. At the same time, if I go to find that item that I want to purchase and it says item is not in stock and we don't yet know when it will arrive, some of the worst words that you might ever see on that page, but go ahead and place the order and we'll notify you when we have more information, all of a sudden my expectation has gone to zero. I might look for something else, something I might settle for something else because I no longer have an expectation of receiving that item, that which I want. That's expectation. But the other side of it is longing. The longing, the strength of longing goes to the blessedness or the the value of the thing for which I am waiting. The greater the value of that which is longed for, the more I feel that sense of need for that item, the greater the desire, the greater the longing. I'm not going to long for something that is common or something that... I don't really feel that I need, but I will long for something that is extremely valuable or rare or precious. And when I say that true hope is found only in Christ Jesus, it is because of these twin vectors, these twin dimensions of hope that are satisfied in Christ Jesus. Because When we speak of this blessed hope, what we are referring to is the fullness of all of God's precious promises delivered to us, not in part, but in whole. 
the fulfillment, the completion, the consummation of all these things. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the grounds for the expectation that we will receive that which has been promised? And I assure you, beloved, that there's no greater basis, no stronger source of expectation than the source by which we have expectation that we will receive which is promised, and that is God's very own word. God has promised on himself, and he has sworn an oath by himself, and God is the only one who has the power of providence to bring about and deliver his promises. And so it is a sure hope that is ours. But not just that, but the longing itself. And that's the problem that we face, beloved, is we are inundated with all different kinds of hope on this side of glory. All sorts of things to long for, to desire, to want, for to capture our hearts and our minds, and yet they are all fleeting. They are all unsatisfying. They are all meaningless. In fact, the uh, author of Ecclesiastes captured this reality brilliantly for us. And what he said was, vanity of vanities, said the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes... The generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. The place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, and the ear is not filled with hearing what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. And beloved, I know that you feel it. When we pursue the hopes and the dreams on this side of glory, they are empty and they are fleeting. Maybe this, this time last year, you were saying to yourself, man, I sure hope 2023 will be better than 2022. And here we are now at the end of another year, and maybe it was, and maybe it wasn't, but 2023 is in the books, and it's long gone. And all those hopes that you were hoping for have passed. For a long time, citizens of this particular region of the world were hoping for the Texas Rangers to win the World Series for decades upon decades. Well, they've won. But that's yesterday's news. We're on to the next season. We're already talking about 2024 and what that means. And pursuing reconciliation with family members, with loved ones, that sure is, sure is important. Pursuing justice in the midst of our lives, that sure is important. Perhaps you're hoping for a particular outcome in that presidential election that's going to happen next year. But do you really think... When you are reconciled, that will be the ultimate peace, the perfect peace that you're longing for. Do you think that if there's justice on this side of glory, then there will be the fullness of justice? Or do you think that that presidential candidate, whoever he or she may be, 
will be able to bring the peace, the satisfaction, the joy, the everything that you are longing for on this side of glory. And you and I know the answer to that question, beloved. We know that it is a futile pursuit, that these things will never satisfy. There is no lasting hope, no lasting, no satisfying hope on this side of glory. And we cope with that in lots of different ways, don't we? One form of cope, the sad form of cope, coping is just to give in to the depressive nature of it. To say, well, there's really no real hope. I'm hopeless. There's nothing to be found on this side of the sun. So what's the point? Others look at this hopeless nature on this side of glory and do just the opposite. It, does, it, does, it doesn't really matter. So I might as well enjoy myself. Let, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're going to die. Probably most of us just simply put our heads down and strive against the wind, busy ourselves with work, try to cast out any, any need to think about it, need to consider or to meditate on the weariness that this life is. But beloved, God's word teaches us that there's, a, there's a, another way. The grace of God has appeared to train us to do something else, which is to wait for the blessed hope that is ours, beloved. This blessed hope, which is in fact ours, where the world has no real hope, God has promised on himself, a sure and blessed hope. And what is that hope? Beloved, it is the fullness of, of the salvation that he promises in Jesus Christ. It is uh, called by different words, different phrases throughout God's word. It is our eternal inheritance, something that has been purchased for us by Christ. It is our eternal rest, not a rest that doesn't satisfy, that never fully gives rest. This is an eternal and satisfying rest. It is a, a lasting city, not a city that, that can be destroyed and corrupted, but a lasting city that is purified and pure, our heavenly Jerusalem. It is justice in the fullness and the perfection of that justice. We're not just all Wrongs are righted and all, all those who have been oppressed are vindicated, but that wickedness itself is destroyed. Evil itself is ended. And all the books are opened and judged according to truth and righteousness. It's, it's the, the perfection of safety where there's no sickness, there's no fear, there's no enemy to attack because all the enemies have been perfectly vanquished, even death itself, even the accuser of mankind. It is joy, but not joy in part, but the fullness of joy, joy unspeakable. And it is not just the faith that we are acquitted that we are justified, that we are righteous in Jesus Christ, but the open and full and public acquittal of God's people declared for all creation, 
not guilty. Enter into my rest. Receive that which has been promised. Beloved, it is not just sanctification, a, a holiness that is in part where some sins have been weakened, some faithfulness has been lived out, but it is the perfection of holiness where you will no longer have even a sinful inclination, where not a single thought of your mind will be sinful, but will be holy, righteous, glorious, where everything that you do will be an act of worship and pleasing to the Lord. And it's not just the hope of eternal life. It will be the fullness of the resurrection of our bodies, dwelling in God's presence forever and ever, Beloved, in short, it is the fullness of the salvation that we have been promised. The fullness of the joy and the peace and the justice that God says throughout his word. And it is far more than we could ever ask or imagine. We can't comprehend how wonderful it is. It's so much that Paul says, I can't even compare the trials of this life to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. That, beloved, is our blessed hope. And yet there's this aspect of it being a hope. There's a waiting. There's expectation. It's something yet to be received. And that is what is hard for us in the Christian life on this side of glory. This is what is so important for us to understand because forgetting this or not understanding this is what is a cause for disaster to cause a shipwreck of our faith. Beloved, because God makes these great and precious promises in his word. And we have to understand that we receive them truly in this life. Truly in Christ Jesus, on this side of glory, but we do not receive them fully. And here's what I mean. God says, in Christ Jesus you will be forgiven of your sins. In Christ Jesus... My spirit will work within you, and I have broken the power of sin in your life. And we hear those things, and God says, pray to me. Pray to that, that, that my spirit would be at work within you. And we pray, and we pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come. Do not lead me into the power of temptation, but deliver us from evil. We hear Jesus say, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And we pray those prayers on our knees with faith. And then we continue to be overcome by temptation. We continue, we, we don't see the fruit that we're looking for. It's weaker fruit, it's smaller fruit. And we say, what happened to that promise? Is there something wrong with me? Was my prayer not in faith? Am I doing something wrong? Or God promises, I will defeat all your enemies. I will hide you in the shadow of my wing. You are mine. I will treat you like the apple of my eye. He who touches you touches me. You are my body. You are my people, my treasured possession. And then we pray, Lord, deliver us from our enemies. 
give us justice, heal our diseases, and we don't get what we're looking for. We don't get the justice that we're looking for. Sometimes our enemies prevail. Sometimes the sicknesses and the diseases spread, and we say, what, what is going on? Is God faithful to his promises? Is there something wrong with me? And we grow restless. At least I know I do. Do you not feel that restlessness? To say, where is this promise? Where is the fulfillment of it? And in our worst, we deny. We start to question our expectation, question our longing. Maybe the promise wasn't what God actually said. Maybe it's not as good as what he said. Maybe I misunderstood what he was saying. Or maybe I, maybe I need to question the expectation. Maybe God didn't really mean what he said, and maybe, or maybe there's something, maybe I'm not really in Christ. Maybe I'm not really, maybe, maybe this is all, all it's cracked up to be. Or we say, well, God's gonna do what he's gonna do. I might as well enjoy this life. Might as well eat and drink and be merry because nothing's working. Or we say, I'm going to grab for the hope that I can hold on to in this life. It may not be the fullness of what I seem to see in God's word, but at least I have it now. A bird in hand is worth the possibility that it's not really there. We grow restless. But beloved, let the grace of God train you to know for certain that what is promised to you is sure and it is coming. And the grace of God appeared in the person of Jesus Christ to train us to wait for that blessed hope and it is certainly ours. Do not lose sight of your confidence. Do not settle for the, the false hope of this world when you have everlasting, eternal, and amazing riches that have been promised to you. The correct response, beloved, for us is to wait for this blessed hope that is ours. And we have a solid and sure certainty that it will be ours. We have it on the certainty of God's word. And we have it on the certainty of his oath. Hebrews chapter 6 says that when God wanted to make certain to us the certainty of his promise, he did what he didn't need to do. His word was sufficient, but he took an oath so that by two things, two unchangeable things, by which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. Students, you know, an anchor with a boat, you know, you throw the anchor off the boat, goes down and keeps the boat from drifting all over the lake or ocean or whatever. The image here is an anchor that goes into God's presence, held on by God himself. This is his oath to keep us from wandering, from drifting from God himself, to have an anchor of the hope that is set before us. He's given us that oath. But this passage in Titus, Paul says that it's the grace of God that appeared that is training us to wait for this blessed hope. That's 
Do you understand the beauty of the incarnation of Jesus Christ as a confirmation of God's promises? I, I encourage you to read Luke 1 and 2, either this afternoon or this week in preparation for the upcoming Christmas holiday. This Luke 1 and 2 tell of the birth narratives of Jesus. And then you hear, see the angel appearing to Zechariah and to Mary and all these different people. We've had a series of readings over these past few Sundays. What I want you to read for when you read it is listen for how the characters in that narrative see this coming of Christ as proof that God's promises have already begun to be realized. The angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah as he's in the temple, and, and the angel says, Fear not, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Beloved, how encouraging would that be to know that your prayers have been heard by God himself and that he is already in the process of answering those prayers, but they just haven't been answered yet. And Zechariah, after John the Baptist had been born, he said, blessed be the Lord God, for he has visited his, and redeemed his people. He has redeemed his people. Now, beloved, you and I know that our redemption is in Jesus Christ because of the work that he did on the cross. But here's John the Baptist before Jesus had been born said, our God has visited and redeemed his people. It is a done deal. And then we also read about those two elderly individuals who had been in the temple, Simeon, the man who had been waiting, it says, for the consolation of Israel. And the Lord had revealed to him, you will not die before you see the Lord's Christ. And his parents, Jesus was born, the parents brought Jesus to the temple for the purification rites. And Simeon says, Lord, you may now dismiss your servant, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Your salvation is here. It is sure. And Anna, who we read about today, she, this widow, had been in the temple for decades, fasting and praying and waiting, it says, for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when she saw the child, she rejoiced and she worshiped God and she began to tell everybody, we've been waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem and this child is here now. And they, beloved, rejoiced at an infant. And so implicit in this infant is even more waiting. It was sure, and yet this infant must grow. He must become a man. He must accomplish all that God has set him, sent him to do. And yet it was sure. And yet they continued to wait. And the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ gave evidence that the hope that we have or that we're clinging to is coming because that is what we saw in the life of Jesus Christ. The blind received their sight. The deaf began to hear. Sins were forgiven. The dead were raised. The lame leaped for joy. We saw him go to the cross and give himself for us, shed his blood as a payment for us, knowing that in that event, our sins were, would be forgiven. We would be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And we see him raised from the dead for our justification that we would have new life in him. And yet even though Jesus had done all those things, there was still waiting. The apostles said, 
Lord, you're raised from the dead now. Have you, have you, are you now going to restore the kingdom? Jesus said, wait. It's not for you to know the day or the hour. Wait, wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. He will give you power. And so they waited, and the Spirit came. The Lord Jesus Christ ascended into the heavens, and he poured out his Spirit upon the church. And the Spirit came like yeast within, a dough, within the dough and began to leaven the whole lump. And the Spirit grew and spread throughout the body of Christ as those were called from every nation, tribe, and tongue from generation to generation. It's been passed down through the church from generation to generation across countries, through missionaries, down to you and me. It's reached our ears, beloved. It's spread to us and will be spread from us even as we speak of this hope that is ours. And we wait and we'll continue to do so until the knowledge of the glory of the Lord fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. And as it comes to each one of us, it grows and it spreads. We receive the Spirit. We developed a, a, a sight of who Christ was. He gave us hope. He begins to work in us. He sanctifies us. He prepares us for glory even as, even as he sets, us, sets our eyes on glory. What we have to remember, beloved, is that the Apostle Paul says to us that what we have isn't the fullness. It isn't the entirety. He calls it the down payment, the deposit. We have a fullness that awaits us. We have, we have something that remains. We have, we have something real in the, by the Spirit, in Christ Jesus. We have true salvation, but we don't have the fullness of salvation. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you know Christ Jesus as your Savior, you have joy, but you don't have the fullness of the joy that awaits you. If you are in Christ Jesus, the power of sin has been broken, and you are laboring to do what is pleasing to him, but you don't have the fullness of that freedom. You have knowledge of who Christ is. You have faith to, to, to receive him. But one day, beloved, your faith will become sight and your knowledge will be full. Lives are truly changed, beloved. But one day we will be transformed, glorified, perfected in the image of our Savior. And we will experience the fullness of the blessing of God's eternal presence. And we're called to have an eager longing for that blessing now, to wait for it. We wait. We wait. We, rather, but rather than fearing and fretting, we fast. We ask. We long. We yearn. We ask the Lord, please, the Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. Beloved, do you have this hope? Do you have this hope of the fullness of God's promises? Do you have an eager expectation that God will be faithful to you in Christ Jesus? And do you see the beauty 
of that which is promised. Beloved, I assert to you that this is the distinctive feature of being a Christian. Being in Christ, being a Christian, is not about an understanding or a belief or a memory of historical facts. The fact that the Son of God became a man. The fact that the Son of God lived a perfect life, that he died on a cross, that he was raised from the dead, that he ascended. Those are historical facts. Those are important for us to know. But that is not what makes you or I a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not where our faith rests. Nor is the distinctive feature of being a Christian living a moral life, doing the right things, wanting to do the right things, being just, righteous in our living. That's an important aspect of the Christian life, but that is not a distinctive feature of being a Christian. There are many unbelievers who live moral lives, some of them better than you and I. The distinctive feature of being in Christ Jesus is that we have a blessed hope that we are clinging to and that it is ours only in Christ Jesus and that that hope shapes how we live in this life. It drives how we live on a day-to-day and moment-by-moment basis. And this hope, beloved, is only ours in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ came to assure, to secure, to purchase this hope for us. The Apostle Paul says that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And we could look back to the incarnation as hope, as, as basis for our hope, that we will receive that which is promised. Do you have this hope? Have you ever made this your hope, beloved? Is that your eager longing? If not, know for certain that the Almighty God has authorized me as a minister of God's word to offer this hope to you. This is why Jesus Christ came for you, to secure your place in glory with him to secure your eternal salvation in Christ Jesus. Put your faith in him. Put your faith in God's promises which have been worked out in him and are being worked in him and receive it with joy and let it transform you. Brothers and sisters, for us who have this hope, who are eagerly longing for this, we must Live in it. Our our passage says that this grace of God trains us to be waiting for our blessed hope. What we need to understand is that that hope is not going to be received in its fullness on this side of glory. And the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if in this life we have hope only, we of all people are most to be pitied. This is not where it is. There is an aspect of faith. Our faith rests in the surety of God's promises in Christ Jesus that he will deliver on his promises. But the exhortation to us throughout pages of particularly the New Testament, but all of God's word is this. For us, we must know this hope. We must prepare for this hope. and We must wait for this hope. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have this hope. But the Apostle Paul made clear in Ephesians chapter 1, this is a hope that is something that is instructed to us by the Holy Spirit. This hope 
drives how we live, so we must earnestly seek to know what is this hope and to, to rejoice in this hope, as we heard in our law passage. In Ephesians chapter 1, he said that he prayed for the Ephesian church that the eyes of our hearts would be opened to know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of the glorious inheritance in the saint, of the saints. Beloved, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are trusting in him, pray that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you. It will change you. It will fuel your Christian life. It will drive your worship to him. Pray for this church that we would know the hope to which he has called us. It is something that we must know that is good for our soul. We should seek it diligently. And once we know it, as we are seeking to know it, we must prepare for it. How do we prepare? We begin to, we prepare by living as though that hope is, that which we will receive is already ours because it really is, beloved. We have a deposit. We have a down payment. We have a portion that is a true sample, a true appetizer of that glory that will be revealed to us. We will be in God's presence. We will be delighting in God's presence. We'll learn to delight in God's presence now. Seek God's presence now. Seek the joy of communing with God on a daily basis. We will be purified perfectly, sanctified through and through for him. Be diligent to prepare. You've been set free. The power of sin has been broken in your life. Be diligent to prepare for glory. Put in a, do, do, he, he, is, he has set us apart to be zealous for good works. Learn what those good works are that he's called, called us to do and do them. Worship with all of your being. Rejoice in that hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And that's the last part. We know, we prepare, but we also wait. How do we wait? Sometimes by lament. We mourn. We grieve. We groan. But also, not without hope. Because blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who eagerly wait and longingly wait and long for this because they will receive it. And pray. Pray with eager longing. Pray. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Because when he comes, brothers and sisters, our wait will be over. We will receive that which has been promised and it will be far more glorious than we could ever ask or imagine. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you have set before us a glorious hope. Forgive us for the dim view of our eyes, uh, the, the dim hope that we cling to, the dim expectation. Oh Lord, would your spirit give light to the eyes of our heart that we would know this hope, that we would live in accordance with this hope, and that we would be rejoice in this glorious hope which is ours. So Lord, thank you that all these things are out of your free grace and that have been 
secured for us in Christ and applied to us by your spirit. To you be all the glory. Thank you for loving us this in, in this way. Pray this in Christ's name, amen.